Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back today. We've got plenty of your questions saved up that we're going to try to get answered today. And uh, we're welcome, uh, welcome you to send us some more questions. That's the way this program operates, is we answer viewers' questions, and that's about all we get done in 30 minutes, is answer as many as we can. There's a phone number on your website, or, and a phone number on your screen, and a website right there with it. Either one of those will work to get in touch with us. Uh, during the program, our operators will write your question down for us. Uh, you can log on to the website anytime and give us a question, and we'll get it just as quickly as we can. And uh, we'll try to find an answer to your question. Maybe it's a real detailed question about the Bible, some kind of doctrine or what's that mean question. It might be something in your life. You just wonder about what the Bible might have to say about it. And the Bible's got principles for every parts of life. So we're happy to try to answer any of your questions and help you understand your Bible a little bit better. Let me introduce my friend Toby Levering, who's back to help me answer questions today. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go, and hopefully our viewers are ready for their question. I always give you a little trivia question, see if you know a little bit of Bible. An uh, old fellow in the Old Testament named Eli, and he died kind of an odd death. How did Eli die? And we'll give you that thrilling answer at the end of the program. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, we'll give you that answer at the end of the program, see if you and your family knew that one. Uh, but I think Toby's drawn the first one, so yep. Toby, just get us going here. Today. All right. Uh, viewer asked the question, where in the Bible is the first miracle performed? Well, I answered this assuming uh, that they meant uh, and sorry, the question did say, where is the first miracle Jesus performed? Of course, this would not be the first example of a miracle in the Bible. But the first miracle that Jesus performed that we have record of is when he turned the water into wine at a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And this is found in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at verses 4 and 11 of that story uh, it says, Dear woman, why do you involve me in this? Uh, Jesus replied, he's talking to his mother, My time has not yet come. Uh, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. It's kind of an odd little miracle, but uh, that is the first uh, miracle that Jesus did, as John records it. And, of course, in the Gospel accounts, uh, that seems to be the first miracle of his public ministry. The first one, I guess the first one overall was when God made everything. Yep, yep. A yep. whole lot of miracles in those six days. It, a whole lot, yep. It was going fast. Yep. <laughs> All right, viewer wants to know what's the prayer of Jabez? What is the prayer of Jabez? And uh, the simple answer is it's a little bitty prayer in one verse in the Bible. Uh, let's look at that first and then we'll talk about what else it is. But First Chronicles 4.10 it says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. 
Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. That's the prayer of Jabez. Uh, we don't know much about Jabez. In fact, we don't know anything else about Jabez except that he prayed that prayer and God answered it. Now, uh, in another sense, when you ask what is the prayer of Jabez, uh, it's a book that Bruce Wilkinson wrote about that little verse. And in another sense, it's a piece of marketing genius <laughs> somehow uh, to take that little verse and make a book out of it, although it wasn't a very big book, and then somehow get it to be so popular. Everybody just seemed to love that book, and it sold millions of copies, and I'm sure Mr. Wilkinson made uh, lots of money from it. I don't know what he did with all those profits, probably donated them some charity, I'm sure, but he made a lot of money uh, off of that one little verse that doesn't tell us much, actually. Uh, and I always suspected that people loved that so much because we want something that's simple. You know, we want a simple thing. To, if we could just pray this little prayer and God would answer it, when you see what's in that verse, it just kind of takes care of everything. It, uh, you, I've got no pain, enlarge my territory, uh, let your hand keep me from harm. It's a good prayer. And uh, it, it sounds so simple in that little verse that just pray this prayer and God will answer it and everything will be okay. And so I think that's why people fell in love with it and bought so many copies of the book and uh, put so much on the prayer of Jabez. But answer to the question, it's one little prayer and one little verse. And uh, it says God answered it. So Jabez must have been a good fellow and worthy of uh, God answering his prayers. So that's what it is. First Chronicles 4.10. You can look it up yourself and see the prayer of Jabez. All right. Okay. Next viewer would like to know about uh, the proper church size. Uh, they ask, I heard that the Bible says it only takes two people to make a church. Is that true? <laughs> well, uh, I guess in the technical sense, it probably only takes one person to make a church. Uh, the technical word, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which simply means those who are called out. Um, so technically speaking, if you're the only uh, person living on an island somewhere and you're a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, and, uh, you would be the church on that yeah. island, you know. But uh, uh, and it, to to a larger degree, I work with teenagers, and I tell them if you know if you're the only Christian at your school, then you are the light of Christ. You're the ambassador for Him in that situation. Uh, I think I I know what the viewers referring to. There is a, uh, a verse that is referred to. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 20. We'll read it here in just a second. But usually, it's quoted a little bit out of context. Uh, and uh, well, let's go ahead and put it on the screen. Chapter 18, verses 19 through 20 of Matthew. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, there am I among them. Well, uh, Jesus here is talking in the in the context. He's talking to the apostles. And he's just simply uh, saying, you know, as, as the church gets started, uh, if you guys have to make a decision about something, 
uh, where, where two or three of you are gathered together, uh, I'm there with you. I'm present among you. Uh, but I don't think Jesus was specifically referring to uh, ideal church size, anything like that. Uh, you could be one. You could be a church of uh, uh, 10,001. I, I think the key thing is that you're in Christ, uh, that you're walking in the, in the light, and that you're living by the Word. And that's the most important thing, and uh, the strength of God is with you uh, no matter what your number is. So hope that's helpful. All right. Thank you. Uh, let me talk just a minute about a way to study the Bible. We've got some free Bible study materials that we like to share with our viewers. Uh, they've come to you through the mail. Uh, you can learn a lot about the Bible with our study tools. So we've mentioned them briefly each week and have thousands of people over the years have taken us up on us on it and uh, learned a lot more about the Bible. Uh, notice that one word there, they're free. Uh, takes nothing from you except a little bit of your time. And we've got it set up where you can do it in your home with uh, spend as much time or take them as quickly as you want. It's up to you. You direct the study. Uh, we'll provide the materials. We'll pay the postage both ways. Uh, just a good way to study the Bible that we've found. It's not a tied to any church or denomination. It's just a basic study of the Bible. And you'll learn a lot about the Bible in that first eight lessons. Uh, we'll get you a certificate after that to indicate that we're proud of you and think you've done a good job. And then we've got a number of other courses that we're happy to keep sharing with you. And uh, you can study a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. So give us a chance to send those to you. And uh, if you don't like them, if for some reason they're not helpful, uh, too easy for you, or if you're a long-time Bible student or something like that, that's fine. You can stop at any time, and we won't bother you in any way. Although we, I mentioned we've had a lot of long-time Bible students go through it, and they say this really helped. A great review reminded me of so many things I'd forgotten. So it's a good Bible study. Phone number, website on the screen. Use them anytime. We'll get you started on it. All right, viewers got a question. Been reading in Matthew, and it says the Bible says, "Call no man father." What does that mean? Well, it is kind of a strange verse. Call no man father. Does it mean I shouldn't call my earthly uh, father father or dad or? <laughs> pops or whatever. Uh, let's look, and this is one of the classics. you got to read the context. If you just read that one verse, it sounds really odd. If you read the context, it's crystal clear what Jesus was talking about. So the context is in uh, Matthew chapter 23, and let me just kind of summarize as I go along here. We won't put it on the screen. Uh, but he was talking, in fact, look at the very start of chapter 23. It says, seven woes. And Jesus is going to issue seven woes upon a group of people, and they are the religious leaders of the day, uh, the Pharisees. The, he calls them the hypocrites, uh, the religious leaders of the day. That's who he's talking to. And what he tells his followers in verse 5, he says, everything they do is done for men to see. They're show-offs. They, they want people to see them. And he goes on and he says... Uh, they love to be greeted in the marketplaces, to have men call them rabbi. He says, but you're not to be called rabbi. And then he says, don't call anyone on earth father. You have one father. He's in heaven. Then he says, you have one teacher. Don't be called teacher. And then he starts in verse 13, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, so, boy, he's getting on them here. He scolds them with seven woes. He's upset with them. And what the problem was, 
they were the religious leaders and they loved the preeminence. They loved to be the leaders. They liked big titles. They wanted people deferring to them and calling them, oh, rabbi and oh, teacher and oh, father. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. Uh, in fact, the summary is in verse 11. Let's look at that together, Matthew 23, 11. Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He says, in Christianity, the leaders are the servants. And these Pharisees over here, they go around exalting themselves. They want to be the big shots. They want to have special titles and all of that. And that's not the way it works in Christianity. So that's all it's talking about. It's not talking about calling your earthly father, father, or even somebody teacher. Uh, in fact, Jesus himself was called rabbi. But he didn't go out seeking that title and, and making it more important than it was. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, I'll never forget this teacher I had. He came in the first day of class. He started listing on the board. He said, I've got an undergraduate degree in this. I've got a master's in this, a master's in this. I've got a PhD in this. I've got a PhD in this. I've got a PhD in this. And he said, and you will call me Dr. So-and-so. Yeah. Okay. That's what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> I had other teachers that had lots of PhDs, and they'd come in. They'd say, just call me John. You know, they, they didn't want the preeminence or the, the big title or all of that. So that's what Jesus is on here, is don't be seeking these titles. Don't be uh, making it that important to you. Uh, so it's not about saying the word father or rabbi or teacher. It's about not wanting to be puffed up and called with big, big titles. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly Okay, right. hopefully that answers that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next question is a, uh, a discipline question, I guess. Uh, do you think the verse about spare the rod and spoil the child is misquoted and misused? Well, um, I'm certain as it stated there, it is definitely misquoted. Uh, that, that exact phrase, spare the rod and spoil the child, is sort of a summary of a proverb, but it's not really the proverb itself as it reads in the Bible. Uh, the proverb itself is found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. We should look at that on the screen so we know exactly what the Bible says. And there uh, Solomon writes, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, um, I suppose people get up in arms today about that, the idea of a rod being used on your child. And, of course, even the idea of spanking your child will just wound junior or princess's uh, self-esteem to a point beyond uh, repair, which is simply not the case. Um, the, of course, the Bible does not advocate child abuse either uh, uh, or being abusive in any sort of way. Uh, the, the principle here is that if, if you're a loving parent, you discipline your children. And I, I have two young children myself, and I discipline them in, in lots of ways. And I will tell you that none of those ways is easy to do. Uh, but the reason that I and my wife do that is because we love them and because we believe that part of uh, raising them up and bringing them up in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is discipline. And that's the only way they learn. You know, as children make bad decisions, they have to be corrected. And sometimes it's just a stern word. Sometimes it's a conversation. Sometimes uh, you have to spank them. Uh, sometimes you have to uh, have other disciplinary measures and they lose privileges <coughs> and things like that. 
uh, th those things are not easy to do. It is much easier to be a lazy parent, I promise. Um, there are lots of parents who take that approach. Uh, just let the little child raise themselves and don't do anything to wound their self-esteem. <laughs> but in the long run, those people probably cause more problems for society because those little children, their parents don't love them. Uh, they, they don't love them enough to train them and to show them how to be a good citizen, uh, how to be a godly person. And, and all of that just takes work. So uh, if you want to be a good parent, you have to discipline your child. Uh, sometimes that means the rod of discipline, but it, it can generally speak to a larger uh, context of just discipline itself. It's a, a parent making the decision to intentionally uh, and, and, and proactively raise up their children to know the Lord, to fear the Lord, to honor Him and His Word, and to act as, uh, as uh, good children and to raise them into mature, responsible adults. Um, so that's the principle there from Proverbs. A wise mother or father disciplines their children, train them up because that's what's best for them. All right. Thank you. Great, great answer on that. Let me add just one little piece there. You said sometimes discipline includes the rod, which I believe. Yep. Uh, but I would add to that, it depends on the kid. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. And I know you'd have said that if we had 30 yeah. minutes to talk about this. But some kids don't ever need a finger laid on no, them. You look at them yeah. cross-eyed and they want to straighten up. You know, it, it bothers them. And some, the rod's the only thing that'll yeah. get their attention. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, way dependent on kids. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't always include the rod, but well, most kids a little spat at yeah. some point is necessary. And and I think God has wired us. I mean, when you go through that process and when you do it right, <laughs> a parent just it's hard to do. Yeah. And I think God wired us that way because yeah. I mean, you know, obviously He doesn't intend for us to be abusive or anything yeah. like that. So. Yep. Yeah. All righty. Uh, marriage. Let's do a marriage question here. Viewer wants to know, is there any reason for which Jesus excuses someone from marriage? Well, the terminology is a little odd there. It makes you think that, well, if this happens, you're excused, you can go. Uh, not exactly the way it works, but I understand what the viewer is saying, I think. Uh, there is no mandatory reason for divorce. Let me say it that way. There's no, no one thing that if it happens, you got to get divorced and that settles it. Uh, it's a little more complicated that marriage and divorce and remarriage has always been complicated. It was in Jesus' day and that's the context we're looking at when we answer this question. Uh, let's go back to the Old Testament first. Uh, God intended in Genesis 1, 2, 3, God intended one man and one woman to become one flesh and to live together for life, and that was the plan. Okay. Now, as men got worldly and fleshly and all that, uh, they started divorcing and saying, I don't want this wife anymore. Uh, and since it was a patriarchal society, that's usually the way it went, was the man said, I don't want her anymore, and put her out of the house. Well, that caused problems for women. So Moses said, let's make this better for women. Uh, if you're going to throw your wife out, you at least you got to give her a bill of divorcement, a paper that says you've thrown her out uh, so people will know she's not married again. It'll make her life a little bit better. Uh, and there was kind of a compassionate thing to do in that society, in that situation. Well, from that teaching of Moses, 
by the time Jesus got here, there were two schools of rabbis, and one of them taught that that meant you could divorce a woman for anything. You just write it down and send her out. She burned the bacon this morning. I guess they didn't eat bacon. You, <laughs> you, burn, <laughs> you burn the toast this morning, write her a bill and send her out. And another school of thought, <laughs> that'll be in the blooper tape there. Uh, the other school of thought was that, no, you can't, it's very, very serious and you can't divorce a woman for any reason almost. So they wanted Jesus into this argument so they asked him about it. And his answer was in Matthew 5.32, what this viewer is asking about. Matthew 5.32, Jesus said, uh, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, create, causes adultery. And marital unfaithfulness is created, translated in other versions as fornication, sexual immorality, unchastity. So that's what our viewer is asking about there. I think our viewer, our Jesus says, uh, the only reason for divorce, the only acceptable excuse is what our viewer used, uh, is marital unfaithfulness. If they commit sexual immorality, if they break that bond, and I think the reason is, is that's so psychologically damaging. It's so hard to get over that, uh, to know that your spouse cheated on you. That's so hard to get over that Jesus says, for that, yes, you can create a divorce. But that doesn't mean you have to. It's still best if you can forgive and keep that marriage together. It's best for you. It's best for kids, grandkids, the rest of the fans better if you can forgive. But Jesus said, I know it's really, really hard to forgive that. So that's an acceptable excuse is what our viewer used as the term there. Uh, but that's the only one Jesus gave. So that's fine. Hope that answers the question, uh, even with our little diversion into dietary practices there. You may get a few follow-up <laughs> questions about that one, my friend. <laughs> oh, well, it's true. All right, let me take a minute and invite you to a Church of Christ near you. Uh, Churches of Christ provide this program for you and keep us on the air. And we like to thank some of them each week and uh, have you stop in and tell them thank you if you want to. Today's uh, congregation that we want to mention is in Burlington, Iowa, uh, up in uh, the Rock Island broadcast area. If you're watching up around the Quad Cities or anywhere in Illinois, Iowa, up in there, uh, the Burlington Church of Christ is a great bunch of Christians that help keep us on the air and uh, do a lot of work with us in that area. Uh, so if you're looking for a church home, they'd be a great place to stop in and visit if you live close to Burlington there. Uh, maybe you just know somebody that goes to the Burlington Church of Christ and you're watching this program and you, you didn't know that they sponsored it. Well, give them a word. Tell them you appreciate uh, keeping us on the air. And, uh, wherever you live, there's a Church of Christ near you probably. Whatever market we're broadcasting in for you, uh, drop in and visit them sometime. You'd find a group of people that think and study about the Bible a lot like what we do here on Know Your Bible. Uh, you'd be warmly welcome. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, tell me, let's squeeze some more in here. Yep, uh, we got a where does it say question. And the viewer asked, where does it say, I knew you before you were conceived? And follow up to that is, how is that possible? All right, well, this is found in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. And let's look at that together on the screen. The Lord there speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
I, point, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, I think there are two ways in which we can understand this concept of God knowing us before we were, uh, before in specific, knowing Jeremiah before he was created. Of course, Jeremiah was a prophet, and prophets were uniquely called to prophesy, to share the word of God to God's people. And so, uh, understanding that, you know, a prophet is a uniquely called person and a uniquely created person. And so, to say that Jeremiah was known by God, known in the mind of God before he was conceived, is uh, fully within the realm of possibility. Uh, and uh, now, whether or not that applies to all human beings, uh, I could certainly see that it could. Partially, and this is the second part, because human beings are more than just physical creatures. Now, of course, concept, the conception of a human being and uh, matching up the DNA and the being formed in mother's womb, uh, that's a part of the physical uh, development of a human being. But human beings, of course, as we know from Scripture, are more than just physical beings. We are created in God's image with a soul. And so, as such, there's an eternal element of us uh, that, doesn't, that isn't limited by time or space or at the point at which we began in our mother's womb. And so I do think uh, in this specific verse he's talking just to Jeremiah. Now we could understand that in the sense that we all have a part of us that is going to outlast in our own physical bodies. Uh, but the concept is clear. God knows us very, very well uh, just <coughs> as he knew the prophet Jeremiah. If you want more information on this, uh, turn to Psalm chapter 139. Read that. It's a great chapter teaching us about how well God knows us uh, th so thoroughly. So I hope that will help you in your, and uh, answer your question and be helpful to you. All right. Let's squeeze one more in here. If you want a word defined, what's the meaning of Pentecost? Pentecost, well, uh, that word literally means 50 days. 50 days, and uh, in the Bible, how that applies is from pa Passover feast, 50 days later was the Feast of Pentecost. It was also called the Feast of uh, Weeks, because that's seven weeks, basically, and it had to do with the harvest, especially of barley, and celebrating the barley harvest, and that generally happened 50 days after Passover, so that's what they celebrated. Now, it uh, has some importance because Jesus was crucified the week of Passover, and then 50 days later was the day of Pentecost, and that is when he chose to reveal his church, and Peter and the others preached the first gospel sermon. Uh, the church was begun, 3,000 people were baptized, the miraculous signs happened. Uh, so that's the significance in the New Testament, is the day of Pentecost is when the church started. Now, because some miraculous signs happened on that day and stuff, uh, there are a group of followers of Christ who con consider themselves Pentecostal uh, Christians uh, because they practice or believe in practicing the miraculous signs, uh, some of them. So that's how that term is translated into what you hear today is Pentecostal, but literally 50 days. All right, we're out of time today. Let's answer our trivia question before we leave. And it was, how did Eli die? And he was an old man and he was overweight. And when he found out <laughs> his boys had died, 
Uh, he fell off a stool and he broke his neck. He was sitting on a stool and surprised him so much he probably had a stroke or heart attack, uh, fell over backwards and broke his neck. So it's an interesting death anyway, uh, but that's how Eli died. We're glad you've been with us this uh, week as we tried to answer your questions. We'll be back next week trying to answer some more, and we hope you come back then. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.